So baby boomers, hands up. Not so fast, you don't want to strain something. Okay. It's probably time that you made some time with me to talk about your funeral arrangements. Um, the songs and who you'd like to take it and that kind of thing. Sorry to hear that things aren't so great. But yeah, we've got a nice place here. We do a good funeral. It'll be good. Oh, yeah, 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 gift. Yeah, we should talk about that, shouldn't we? Bequests. <laughs> um, starting in January, uh, we had two excellent video sermons on spiritual gifts and the changing nature of the church, which was the beginning of a process leading up to us re-engaging with our direction and our purpose as a church. We talked a bit about some of the stuff at camp. We'll pick it up at the AGM again next month. And then sometime later, we will recast the Transforming Opawa document that has guided what we've been doing for the last seven years. In 2016, we, we spent some time trying to discern where God was leading us and, and who he was shaping us to be. Well, today I want to continue that process and preach into that question. Now, in your newsletter, you will find a cross. Actually, scarily, it's not a cross. Well, it could be, but it's not. It's an X and Y axis. Who has bad memories of maths from back in the day looking at this kind of thing? My maths teacher um, from years 10 to 12 and I had a personality difference that over three years we were not able to make any progress on. Uh, his, my favourite comment of his on one of my report cards was, has the irritating habit of distracting both himself and others from profitable industry. And I thought that was a peach. He'd spent a lot of time on that. Now, if you haven't got one of these and you would like one, and it might help if you're able to um, take a few notes around this because there's a diagram I want to share with you, and I've got pens here. Is there anyone who would like one? Christopher, you're looking, you fine fellow. You see, drummers aren't all bad. You'll get a chocolate for that, you're quite right. <laughs> Good call. I once heard a very mean joke about drummers, and it was, at a concert, how can you tell who the drummer is? It's the person hanging out with the musicians. I know. <laughs> okay, if you've got a pen or, or the um, newsletter, that'd be good. All right. Jesus said two very challenging things to his first disciples. Kevin, I just realised I haven't got the clicky. How's your father? What's it? Jesus said two very challenging things to his first disciples who became the church in Matthew 5. The first thing he said was, you are the salt of the earth. The second one was, you are the light of the world. Thank you. He's a fine fellow. Jesus called his people to be 
in the world, but not of it, to be salt and to be light. Now this is a tricky tension to manage. But is our call as a people of God to be both in the world but not to be of it? To be engaged and active in our communities, but not in such a way that we are overwhelmed by the spirit of our age, the character of our times. We are to be both engaged and yet distinct, salt and light. We're meant to be salt. Salt preserves what is good in the world and indeed adds flavour to it. Light reveals what is and reflects truth and a gospel that is a hope for a drowning world. Hugely tricky to do both well, but that is the brief that Jesus gave us. Now the best way I can explain what I'm talking about is through this diagram. The horizontal axis, which will appear... Okay, that's a problem. Right, horizontal axis on one on the left hand end, right in, and on the right hand end, right out. The left hand in end is utterly in the world. The right hand end is outside of it, living on society's margins. A lot of our Christian churches traditionally have tended towards that right-hand end to remove themselves from mainstream culture. It's easier to maintain your personal holiness and our Christian distinctiveness when you avoid television, movie, and the internet. And they've got a point. Now, more Christians today tend to be down towards the left-hand end. Let me demonstrate this. How many of you have read or seen a Harry Potter film? Bad people. It's outrageous. I've got the set of the books. How many drink alcohol socially? Mm. That makes us closer to our non-Christian neighbours than our more conservative Christian siblings. Because we are more like the world in how we live than in more sectarian, insular forms of Christianity. So the barrier between Opawa and the wider world is lower than at a church on the right-hand end. Now this is both a strength and a challenge. The strength is that you don't have to undertake some sort of cultural conversion to come to our church. Non-Christian people who float in here are generally quite positive in their feedback. They find us easy to understand, and it's okay to be here. The challenge of the left-hand end is that the light of the gospel can get lost. It's hard to be countercultural with the sheer noise of our culture all around us. We are enmeshed in it. What is there that is so different about us that makes belonging to this church worthwhile? What makes church different from a personal support group? Because it needs to be. It needs to be way more than that. Now our culture, the world we live in, will make us all into consumers if we let it. 
which is the default setting of how people in the Western world live. Our risk is that church becomes one option for what we do on a Sunday, competing with the golf club, brunch, and whatever other pastime we're into. Okay, then there's the vertical axis. Why axis? Anybody know? Anybody remember from maths? Yep, oh, should have passed. At the top end of that axis is a vision of life that is strongly collective. So I suggest you write that in. At the bottom end is a vision of life that is strongly, strongly individualistic. I passionately believe that the biblical imperative is that we are a people of God, not these little persons of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that by one spirit we were baptised into one body, not lots of different bodies. You and I are part of something bigger on so many levels. Consider this. We're part of this church that is a separate corporate identity over and above the individuals that make it up. This church is part of the New Zealand Baptist Union, some 240 widely varied churches that relate together. Through them we are part of the Baptist World Alliance, which represents tens of millions of Baptists. We're also part of the worldwide Protestant movement, which has its roots in the 16th century Reformation. We're into the hundreds of millions by now. We're also part of the whole church on earth, which includes Orthodox, Coptics, Catholics. You're into well over a billion people now. And then there's another dimension. We're part of the historic church of all believers that have followed Jesus and are now dead. Who knows how many of them? And faithful Jews from the Old Testament time whose Bible we still revere. But wait, there's more. The death of Christ has opened up the fellowship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And because we are in Christ, we are part of that mutual love, of that embrace. And if you can imagine three people having a conversation, they've opened up the space for us to join in, to be a part of that, and live amongst them. Truly, we are part of something much, much, much bigger than any one of us. Now, the local church has at times been a really damaging institution. Sometimes a boring place with quirky music, unusual fashions, you know who you are, and offbeat characters, you also know who you are. But the church universal that I have just described is a glorious thing. The body of Christ on earth advancing through history immersed in the power of God's love, driven by the Spirit. But anyway, back to that diagram. So we combine those two axes, and when you do this, you form four quadrants. The top right-hand quadrant, we would have groups that are strong on their collective identity and very keen to stay away from too much involvement in the world. Maybe something like the Destiny Church is an example. It's got a very strong sense of separate identity. Now along with that, there is the risk of oppression and exploitation. All cultic groups 
would be in this quadrant, or at least have come from this quadrant. The group can take over a person's individual identity. Now, I'm not trying to say that destiny is a cult, because they're not, but that is their risk if they keep heading out. In the bottom right quadrant is where, historically at least, most Baptist churches would have been found. We emphasised personal salvation, the me and God type understanding of the faith. So we understand it in individual transactional terms. Upon my sincere repentance and decision to follow the Lord, my personal sins are forgiven. I did something and Jesus did something for me. There's an exchange. There's also, in this quadrant, a profound suspicion of the world. I struck this when I was youth pastoring 20-odd years ago. I organised a dinner with the youth serving the older retired people of our church. There were two items on the dinner. There was lamb and beef, but only the cook and I knew that both lamb and beef were actually goat, but nobody noticed. Anyway, we had the retired people, and it fell to me to arrange the music. So I thought, what's the oldest music I've got? And I had some Nat King Cole albums. So I brought them along. He wasn't big in Baptist circles back in the day. The older people explained to me that they were not allowed to listen to secular music back then. It was a sign of compromise and worldliness. Except for Jim Reeves. He got a pass for some reason. And I saw this too as a young adult convert coming into the church. I was encouraged to destroy my rock music LPs. The devil was in the beat, apparently. I was expected to be hyper-diligent in my spiritual practices and be very committed to a quite strict moral code. No swearing, no drinking, no smoking. For me, becoming Christian involved joining a subculture and taking on its beliefs and its way of life. Now, the risk in this bottom right quadrant is isolation and disconnection. Now, Protestants, us lot, have historically been critical of the papacy for its power to decide what's right and what's wrong. But in this quadrant, we are all little popes. We determine truth for ourselves. And so you see in the churches in this quadrant, we split like nobody's business. Individual Christians using their personal papal authority to determine what the faith is will often change churches or sometimes opt out altogether. Strong commitment to truth and personal salvation can lead to a pile of broken relationships and a lot of pain. Well, my name's Rod and I'm a history nerd, I have to confess. And I've read Opawa's history, including what's been written about us. And my sense is as a church that since the 1990s, we've been tracking left. That's not we're becoming socialist. We've been moving from the bottom right quadrant across to the bottom left. We are quite individualistic. We don't have a strong sense of the we of church. I see it in the number of people that attend Sunday less frequently. Particularly notice in the white, noticeable in the wider church since COVID. I've known churches that attendance has dropped 40 50 percent. It's not that I want to resurrect the old legalism that you must attend church every Sunday and I'll stand out there for clipboard. 
but our loose connection does say something about the nature of our community. And the question that arises is what is church for? Another question to grapple with is what are the risks associated with being a church in this bottom left quadrant? Well, if being in the world and individualism are the dominant values, then church is going to tend to be something like this shopping list. Give me a good sermon, something that helps me live Monday to Saturday. Give me a worship experience that helps me connect with God. If I have kids, look after them and teach them the gospel. Give me a listening ear when I need it. If I'm a boomer, give me a good funeral and make it quick. And if some church people want to do mission together, that's fine, but hey, it's not essential. That would be the shopping list. And I say shopping list because we risk becoming consumers of church rather than participants. It's a very low view of church. And I'm sure you've met people who say, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but I don't go to church. I don't think it's that important. The church is meant to be a missional body, not just the individuals within it. We're called as a people into being a part of the mission of God in the world. And the risk of the pattern that I've outlined there is church ends up existing largely for us. And that is not God's design. The gathering of Christians and worship service is not just for us, it's for the glory of God. It's a God-centered action that transcends an individual's experience and it's also supposed to be open at the edges where someone can come in and join and find a home and find a place. It's not a club. Now this isn't just our problem. It's all across the Western church. The vast majority of church resources are spent on the people already within the church or attracting people who are already going to other churches. The number that's often cited is 90% of our resources are spent on ourselves. Now, if destiny's risk in that first quadrant is becoming cultic, and the old Baptist's risk in the second quadrant is becoming very insular little, insular little sex, S-E-C-T-S, then our risk is being sucked into the world and just withering away. Now the direction that I would aspire to is to move a bit towards the top left quadrant, to become a stronger relational community. I think we want to hang on to our sense of connection to the world. We still want to be engaged with what's going on around us. It's undesirable for the church to be a subculture in its own little orbit. But we need to build and develop our community more. So just to recap, we've got collective, individual, in, out. Collective and out is destiny, for example. Further way out would be cult, and that's the, the gravity, gravitational pull on them. Uh, out and individual, we've got the old Baptists, and the pull for them is a sectarian. Something like um, the exclusive brethren, perhaps, would be the ultimate space if you kept moving out that way. On the other side, we've got, say, OBC, bottom left. The pull there is the world. 
and you just get swallowed up. And in the top left, it would be something like perhaps the Russian Orthodox Church. And the pull there is a state. The two become indistinguishable. Okay, so that, that's the model. Now the first challenge to our being one united people in our gathering here on Sunday, well, we are the church gathered here. And frankly, that can be really difficult. We need to be thoughtful towards each other and gracious when people are not necessarily thoughtful and gracious to us. You know, we have people here who are predominantly head people and people who are heart people. We have Pakeha, Māori, Africans, English, Jaffas, and Southlanders with most of their toes. We have people who are musical aficionados, musical novices, and the tone deaf. We have people very expressive in their worship, Frederica, and those who are quite reflective. We have those who arrive late and those who leave early, no names. We have little kids, 90-somethings, and coffee drinkers. We have brethren and Pentecostals. We have the socially liberalish and the socially conservative-ish, National Party types and the Greens. I love it. Unity and diversity is what the church is supposed to be. It's what we're called into. But it does demand thoughtfulness and grace for us to keep together and strengthen our unity. Now, most bigger churches deal with this challenge through multiple services. And I know of churches where the kids never make it into the auditorium because you drop them in Sunday school on your way into the service. No. No, don't think that's good at all. But what specifically does thoughtfulness and graciousness mean for us here? What kind of tone do we as a collective create when we're together? Do we actually show care to those who are relatively vulnerable? The newcomer, the visitor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger. How we treat and accept those people is a really good test of who and how we are. Now, I've spoken to many people who've been here a long time who still feel on the fringe. They've found us as a community hard to find a place in. They still feel a bit like strangers. That's a problem that we need to ponder further. Are we thoughtful of others? Are we open to people who are not like us or people we don't know? It's not about being tight with the people like us, it's being accepting of the people that are not. Do we create space for the other? Are we exclusive or inclusive? Especially in the Waltham community that is younger, less likely to be married and browner than most of us. This is why our baby steps in engaging with Maori culture are important. Not only will we learn something in the process, but my hope is that we will become a truly more welcoming place. Not just for Māori, but for people from other ethnic backgrounds. Now, someone asked me um, last year, you know, if we have a new flux, an influx of new Caledonian people, will we, will we be singing French songs? You know, Alawetta, Jaunty Alawetta and all that. 
I said, yeah, probably not. But they will see us making the effort to include people who are not like most of us. And I think that will count for quite a bit. Multicultural church is tricky. I spent a year at a church in Auckland, of which uh, at that time about 40% of the people were born overseas. There were 25 different ethnicities that we had. While we were there, they had a members meeting to vote on a new pastor. 95% of the people who came to the members meeting were Pākehā. I guess the rest felt like it wasn't really their church and they didn't have a say. And as we grow, that will be our challenge for us, no question. To get very practical, to land this plane, if this is home for you, then next year you need to be at the annual church camp. We need you there to connect and to be connected with. We are reinstating the monthly lunch in March after church and we have our AGM then too. You need to be there building connections and being heard. If you're not in a small group of some description, connection will be a real challenge for you. Now if you know a family that might enjoy messy church, then bring them along next Saturday. Please. If you're struggling with something, talk to the person that you trust the most here, or me, or better yet, both of us. Now please rest assured, we are not going to try and have church activities running constantly to overwhelm your life. That isn't who we are. But these things are important. Second challenge to our strength as a community is it needs to be built on sharing our gifts with the body of Christ. Now if you read 1 Corinthians 14, 12, you will see that our spiritual gifts are given to us not for our own good, but for the good of the whole Christian body. Paul repeats that idea in chapter 12 and in Ephesians 4. If he repeats something that many times, we need to listen to it. Now, I have a retired pastor friend who would be in his mid-70s now, and he grew up in a Baptist manse. His old man was a pastor. And when he was a kid in the 1950s, his dad pastored a church of probably over 600 people. The staff at that church were his dad and a 10 hours a week office lady. And that was it. Everybody else was a volunteer. Now ministry has professionalised. We now have paid youth pastors, associates, children, pastors and whatever. Now that guy's church would now have several full-timers and a host of part-time people working for it. There are a lot of reasons for this change. One of which, I think, is that 40 years ago, houses cost about 40% what they cost now, in real terms. So it's a lot harder to buy your own place. I know a young couple who've just bought their first house, uh, three-bedroom house, 600000 It's a bit of a do-up, but it's okay. Now, if they were buying that house in 1980 in today's dollars, it would be about 250000 That's a lot less stress on that family a lot less need for income. They are squeezed. In my time this church here, we've pulled back our salary spend because we had to, giving declined by about 40%. So there's me three and a half days a week and management for three days a week. 
Now, you may not know this, but one or both of us are involved in every ministry area of the church, such that management is now employed as well as the manager of our Opawahu Trust, doing community youth work. That picture is not ideal. Hear me, I'm not beating the drum for volunteers to pick up duty calls, but I would love to talk with you if you would be interested in Messy Church. We've lost a couple of people who were gold. We need another person or two who our ideas people were into craft. We are struggling to build a consistent congregation on the Saturday and having serious conversations about how long we keep doing this. That's one, Messy Church. Two, overseas mission. I'd love to have a person to champion our overseas missions who's comfortable talking up front. Those of you who've been around a while will remember Francis Borry who used to do that, who died far too soon and is a real loss. Opawahu Trust, our holiday program, was an overwhelming success. My goodness, this place was noisy, I had to leave. We need help. Good problem to have. We need help for the school holiday Wednesdays. We're approaching 40 kids. The prayer chain. We will miss Katrine being the point person in our prayer chain. And please, if you're a member of the prayer chain, and I see a number here, could you come down and have a quick two minutes with me at the end of the service? Fellowship. I'd love to have someone to organise the lunches and the socials to take that responsibility off management. The board. We are losing a really valued board member soon. Do you know someone that you think might thrive in that role? If you do, go talk to your favourite board member about them. Youth ministry. The team are doing great, but they always need support in a variety of ways. Pastoral carers. If that's you, come talk with me. Children's work. Always a need, but like all of these things, we want someone who's passionate about it rather than feeling like, it's my turn, so I'll do it. Do you get the, the flavour? There's a lot of space. There's a lot of space for people to lead. There's a lot of place, space for people to serve. Alternative worship. I'd love to be able to do a Good Friday service this year, but at the moment it would just be me. So it won't happen. Now you may have a place of service somewhere else. And that's all good. And God bless you in that undertaking, and I'd love to hear about it. But if you have not found your niche in serving God's kingdom, come have a chat. I'm not going to try to push a square peg into a round hole. I'll try and suss out who you are and what floats your boat and see if we've got a place that you could serve. Trust me, you will gain from that. Because as a wise older person said to me once, God is nobody's debtor. As Mick Duncan said, you will feel his smile on you as you serve in a fulfilling way and you will strengthen our faith, community and your place in it. Lots to mull over. Welcome to my world. Please take the time to consider and pray about what I've said. The sermon will be up on the website soon and there are extra hard copies at the welcome desk. But can I just leave it with you to consider your connectedness, where you connect and how.
and consider your giftedness. What are your gifts and where are they expressed? You've been exceptionally patient. I think this is the longest sermon I've ever done here. You're looking well. Amen. Could the musos please come up? We're going to finish with one final song.